Frontline. 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 They're stalking behind comic scenes. Behind the comic scenes. Mark J and Tim. It's the spin-off that has survived. There's no yawning to find the meaning. Is it good? Is it shite? G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. Well, G.I. Joe Frontline on. Talking Joe. So, so we're talking uh, frontline uh, history repeating arc issues uh, 11 to 14. This ran August 2003 to September 2003, one month because it was shipping weekly. This was around the time of issues 20 to 21 closure in the main book. So we've got writer Brandon Jerwa, pencils Eddie Barrows, inks Corey Hampshire, colours Lynx Studio. So that's uh, who who Tim knows who to go for. Letters, dreamer design and graphic design Mike Norton. Uh, Yeah, interesting graphic design actually on the inside front cover with sunglasses and passports and whatnot. Let's have a look at those things on the front of the books. They call them covers, I believe. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. From Francis Manipal, Corey Hampshire and Steve Coe. Tim, do you want to weigh in with your thoughts on these four covers? Sure. The cover to issue 11 is a great idea because um, it sets off these two realities. You have this character... Uh, in this case, he's lit from the right, and it looks like sunrise, or I guess it's sunset, or headlights. And then you have these Joes uh, on this mission at night, under night vision, uh, and it's a POV shot, like through a scope. Uh, and, you're, and I'm, I'm sort of worried about them. Uh, I, do think, I, think, I do think the coloring is too aggressive for both halves of the cover, and either the guys in green should be all green, just flat green, or where they can be pretty busy and chuckles can be more flat. Um, the cover to issue 12, uh, I, I like the idea that it's this tension, right? It's, it's smart to have the reflection of the countdown on this bomb in Tripwire's um, goggles, but the coloring is so aggressive on this, like these crazy highlights and gradients on Tripwire all over from these two little green lights uh, in the wiring on the bottom left. And then um, uh, Airtight's, Airtight is cropped so that I sort of can't tell if he's like menacingly coming up behind Tripwire to like hurt him or if he's just back up or if he's like bored. Um, and some of that comes from him having helmet. Um, but this this cover does not work for me at all. 13 promises some action because I think it's Jinx. Uh, th- before I read the issue and Jinx is in the issue. So then I thought, OK, it is Jinx. Um, but uh, it doesn't sort of jump out to me. Uh, having seen this issue sort of for the first time. Oh, that's definitely Jinx on the cover. It's, you know, there's like a, it's some kind of highway chase because she's jumped on uh, the hood of a car and she's, uh, and the, the driver is uh, surprised. And then further back uh, uh, is uh, Scarlet on a motorcycle. So there's a lot going on, but it sort of doesn't add up because Jinx looks like she's punching the windshield. She's, or grabbing the, um, the windshield wiper and the, uh, the sorry doesn't work. Cover does not work. Um, and then fourteen. 14- I think the, the the layers on this one seems. I, I don't think you, your eye quite 
reads reads it um I kind of it feels like almost her arms through the windshield but seeing the illustration like you know clearly there's a wind windshield in between them um yeah also you know scarlet shoot, shooting at that at that windscreen is is pretty close to jinx's head i know that the joes are all excellent shots and i would believe in a scene if this scene actually happened in the issue i can believe that you know scarlet would say something like Jinx, I'm going to shoot two inches to your left. And Jinx says, okay. But, like, she's on a motorcycle going, I don't know, 20, 60, 80 miles an hour. There's a lot of, like, bumping and wind. Um, so, uh, and then 14. So I, I should say that I've, I'm familiar with these covers because I've seen them in the backs of other Devil's Do comics as ads. And I've always been intrigued by this arc. But this was the first time I have read this arc. Um, this final cover has always puzzled me because... Until I read the issue, I didn't know who the guy is in the center of the cover of issue 14. And halfway through the issue, I thought, is this the bad guy? Because he's colored like a black guy or a very, very tan uh, white guy or an Indian guy. Um, And uh, his costume doesn't, from the cover, doesn't match up with quite what he's wearing in most of the issue. And then I thought, oh, this this woman on the left must be really important. and then I immediately think of this thing that John Buscema says in How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way, which is for every line you add to someone's face, you add 20 years, right? It's like there's a way to draw Aunt May, there's a way to draw James Jonah Jameson, and there's a way to draw Peter Parker, right? Don't put any lines on Peter Parker's face. So I really like Francis Manipal's, uh work on Flash, his G.I. Joe covers. I wish he'd somehow come back to G.I. Joe. Chuckles here looks like he's, you know, 20. This woman here looks like she's... 50 and um uh, uh and the then the plane in the background is like cropped by the logo so uh i've said this for some covers before like this cover is not more than the sum of its parts like it's a it's a it's a montage right it's like they're not actually standing in front of the sunset um but it doesn't it doesn't for me capture the tension of the issue uh, great covers ask questions and the issues answer them. And this cover doesn't ask a question, but also the statement that it makes is also um, a little muddied. So I sort of thought when I was looking at these covers while reading this, I sort of wondered if like, uh, as as is happening with modern issues at G.I. Joe in our um, IDW uh, episodes, it sort of felt like the editor gave a very general idea to the cover artist who drew something that may or may not have linked up with the issue. Uh, and I don't think that's what happened here since, as Brandon tells us, these were written uh, well in advance. So overall, I kind of like these covers, but it peaks with the first one. Okay, okay. So I have to ask you, I have to ask you because it took me years to notice this. On the cover of 14... Which I don't disagree about the coloring of Tyler's face. It's very confusing. It doesn't. It looks like a different character. However, it took me years to see this. Look at it. Just take it as a whole. It's an angel. The heads. Of, the heads of the wings. The plane is the halo. Uh. Yeah. Okay. So Francis Manipal on his Flash run, starting in uh, 2011, like. He's not just an illustrator. He's not just a storyteller who draws. He's also a designer, and he does really great things in that series across full-page splashes, two-page splashes, 
where he's arranging panels in really interesting ways and leaving space for like the letterer to do something with the title of the issue. So I can I can see that as now that you pointed out, I can see that as the idea. But um, but it doesn't work if it takes someone years to <laughs> pick up on it. And now that I see it, I go like, OK, yes, it still doesn't work. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> is this an observation of yours or, or is this something that you, you know for sure it's intended? Oh, I, it's an ob- it's 100 percent an observation. Uh, but I've seen these covers a lot, obviously. Uh, yeah. And and I was literally sitting at a convention one day. And I went, it's an angel. And I, I turned, I handed it to my, my friend, Eric Troutman, who was sitting next to me. I was like, what's that? And he goes, oh, it looks like an angel. He never paid attention. <laughs> like, you know, uh, so I, I think that there was an attempt at that imagery in there as well. Tyler does get to fly in the last issue. <laughs> True, <laughs> he does. He sure does. Uh, my, my favorite is also the first cover of the four. I, w- I agree with that for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I, I think that's a really strong cover. And when would have been the first time that you got to see the the covers for these uh, these issues, Brandon? Oh, I think I um, I got to see them pretty well in advance, a, a month or two, maybe. Lord knows there were times that I didn't get to see any covers. Uh, and also, I would find later, as as Devils Do got really, really into variant covers, people would bring me a, a copy of a book and they'd be like, this is my favorite issue. And I'd have to look at what it was to figure out what it was because I'd never seen that particular cover before. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's great it's very surprising but sometimes people hand you something you'll be like i don't know what the hell this is i'm so sorry yeah. and what i like about this this area generally is is that the fact that for the most part there is a single cover the cover is the cover and if we're looking yeah. at an issue everyone's looking at the same cover and, and you know having the same memories about that that cover and that that issue cool uh let's uh bang on into a plot breakdown and uh see if this helps refresh your memory of what happened in these issues uh, almost 20 years on okay oh, chuckles has been working four years undercover in extensive enterprises when a plane carrying the death angel virus is hijacked by taylor wingfield and cobra sends chuckles to handle the transfer of the payments Meanwhile, a G.I. Joe team consisting of Beachhead, Flash, Airtight and Tripwire is sent to stop the hijackers who have now taken control of a missile base in Colorado. Chuckles arrives at the missile base with some Cobras just as the G.I. Joe team have been captured. The G.I. Joes are assisted by an undercover CIA agent and Tyler's girlfriend, Azura, who literally stabs him in the back. The Joes are able to disarm the missiles before they launch and capture several Cobras, along with Chuckles, who chooses to remain undercover. He doesn't stay undercover for long, as when he's in Blackwater Prison, the Joes fake his death and he escapes to a safe house. The Baroness and Xandar discover the ruse and capture Chuckles, who is given to Tyler Wingfield. Later, in Paris, Wingfield, with Chuckles ab- aboard his plane, holds it ransom and demands 25 million and his mother, Sherry Wingfield, to be brought to him in exchange for his hostages. Once Sherry and the money are brought to him by Flint and his team of Joes, the exchange happens and the plane takes off. Aboard the airplane, Sherry shoots her... Sherry shoots her son... uh, Crikey, try saying that ten times. (laughs) Sherry shoots her son and they jump out of the plane with a parachute together. Two weeks later, Hawk meets up with Chuckles telling him that he has another assignment if he wants it. And Chuckles says he does. He just has to keep his promise to the girlfriend that he'd left behind. 
So uh, art is by Eddie Barrows. Uh, and, and interestingly, he'd previously done some limited work in comics. Uh, he'd done six issues of a tie-in comic for the uh, World Wrestling Federation on St- Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, Chaos Comics. Barrows felt that he needed more practice and took a hiatus from comics and would come back. Uh, and he came back with this book, apparently. But uh, has gone on to have a very successful career in comics, and I have only just recently read a massive omnibus of his work on detective comics with uh, James Tinian the uh, Fourth. Brandon, yes, I think we discussed before that you didn't have too much in interaction with uh, Eddie on the on the art, but did you? You know, what were the, those exchanges like? And and you know, did you get to see some of the pages as they came? came through that they send you some of the like digital scans yes they did i do uh i do remember being able to see some art uh very early on and it may have been inked by the time i saw it i'm not i'm not sure but uh you know we had a couple of questions back and forth i write very uh very detailed scripts mm-hmm. um uh, that is one note that i took from from reading some writers advice uh, online, which is if you don't put it in the script, it's never going to appear on the page. Uh, so I wrote, you know, very, very detailed scripts even then. And uh, in this case, like, uh, I think b- besides a couple of maybe clarification questions that routed through Devil's Do from Eddie to me, uh, you know, we didn't talk much, but like I was uh, elated <laughs> by the art when I saw it. Like I just... You, you know, you don't know what you're going to end up with. And, mm-hmm. and I was bottom of the rung of the bottom of the rung. So I figured <laughs> they, they'd, you know, let somebody's dog draw this and be like, look, it's so great. Uh, and I, yeah, I was just thrilled. Uh, and, you know, things obviously turned out okay for Eddie. <laughs> he he uh, was able to, to launch a very excellent career uh, after this. So, uh, yeah, I loved it. Big fan. Yeah, it's it's I think generally strong strong work from someone so early in their in their career, and he also it comes across that he's not sort of one to try and sort of take too many shortcuts. I think um, I'm preempting Jay a bit, but he's probably going to say page one out of the gate. You know, he's he's not taking easy choices. Um, we've got a shot of this um this military man on the on the radar and it's a you know a shot looking up from below which is um you know always quite a tricky shot to to carry off from uh, perspective wise jay did i read your mind yep yeah, yep yeah, pretty much it, um it, there's there's some rough spots in here you can see you know where where he's still got a long way to go uh, at this time but there's also at the same time like shots of greatness eddie barrows in my opinion is one of the best comic book artists alive right now if you follow him on facebook you get to see um, a lot of his batman pencils and the pencils for that stuff is just mind-blowing i mean uh, Corey hampshire doesn't do his pencils justice here and i'm not sure who does it on on the batman stuff but i've actually i've picked up the the comics after seeing the the pencils on facebook and been markedly disappointed when I look through it because it just, I don't know, it loses a lot uh, when they ink it and, and print it. But the, his pencils are just unbelievable. So Barrows is is really, really a fantastic artist, in my opinion. And when I saw that he was the artist, I was like, oh, I'm in for a treat. And I wasn't disappointed. 
I thought he's off to a great start on this first arc. He he's definitely working hard. Mark makes a great point, right? No shortcuts. I I don't think he's comfortable yet. I mean, this is early in his career. He's not comfortable with uh, there. He's not always using space in the most satisfying way. So there's this panel in the first chapter, a couple pages in, where Chuckles is in his disguise and these three uh, cars pull up, these three Mercedes-Benzes pull up, and um, it, it's it's just not a good composition. Like, the way that the three cars are cropped, the way that everything about Chuckles' head is inked except for his nose. And I think it's in the third chapter when... Um, it's in the fourth chapter uh, when uh, Chuckles is making a distraction on the plane, like during the hostage situation. And one of Wingfield's bad guys uh, kicks him and it's this like high kick. It's like, no, there's very little room on a commercial airplane to, <laughs> and, and like, this is one of those things where like, you know, if you're in a rush or if the script is like, no, it's a high kick on an airplane. It's like, well, I'm going to draw a high kick on an airplane, even if there wouldn't really be room for that. And I think we're sort of used to like how airplanes look and feel on TV shows and movies where they can pull chairs out of the way to put the camera there. But like, there's no room. Um, and uh, and that, that kick is drawn really awkwardly. And then um, the, the fourth issue definitely feels to me like uh, he's getting short on time, Barrows or... Uh, he's running a little bit out of steam, um, even down to the, the final two pages, which which feel like uh, stylistically the same artist, but in terms of like making choices, like a different artist. So I think this is good, but this is still definitely someone who's early in their career. And and both of you are right. Barrows does phenomenal work uh, nowadays, but I see a lot of um, uh, a lot of care in these four issues on like detailed faces and I would much rather that time be spent on like pulling the camera back a little further or swinging it around five or ten feet to the right for certain panels to make a panel compositionally more balanced and a page compositionally more balanced I want to jump back sorry I want to jump back real quick and and just mention the uh the credits page normally the credits page don't have a lot going on for them in in these but this one was cool with the uh, repeating handgun and the money and the target, I thought that just really added to the you know the spy kind of James Bond feel. Uh, again, when I opened this up, I was like, you know, I see Jerwa, who honestly I've never read anything of yours before, so I had no idea what I was going into. Uh, but I love Barrows, and I'm like, oh okay, Barrows, great. This looks cool. And then you start in, and just from the from the very beginning, it's it's really good, and especially when we get to the second scene with Duke and Chuckles and. Tim mentioned color earlier. There's a panel, I think it was the first, yeah, it's Central Park 0500 hours. And it's like, it looks like dawn, you know, it looks like early, early dawn. Not like, I can see a lot of color or a lot of colorists not even paying attention to the 0500 hours and coloring that with a really bright sky and really vibrant colors and everything. And I think that everything looks a little muted in here. Most of the stuff looks a little muted. So yeah, I, I was really high on that. Uh, no, that's all good. And and your you your comment on the inside front cover is picking up from what Mark was saying about Mike Norton's graphic design work here. Yeah, I think it, I think as you say, it sort of it, it sets a, a kind of a good introductory mm-hmm. tone to this is going to be an exciting uh, story. And and you know that, I guess that's relatively unusual that, that you could uh, you you kind of pick up on those those cues really for a book that that often you know the inside front cover those credit pages and stuff are quite functional yeah 
as a bookend, only one of these four issues has a letters page, and three of these issues just have two extra pages of ads. And one of the exciting parts of getting more of your favorite comic is getting more of every f part of it. And I realized, <laughs> like, you know, like s picking out some letters and like typesetting them and editing them and answering them, that's like the last thing the editor does, like in the cycle before putting an issue to bed. And it's often, it's always in a rush. And I thought, oh yeah, they didn't want to do this four times in a you know in a month for this arc. Uh, so I I think the inside front covers are great. The way that each issue ends, it's like oh, I want to see what the fans have to say and the like editors' snarky comments. It's like oh, there's no letters <laughs> in issues eleven and twelve and thirteen. Sorry, Mark. But also to... it's it's weekly, right? So they they're not getting they you know not getting that feedback no, they, in, but, uh, in time. That... I just want more letters on the previous arcs. Okay. Well, my my sort of uh, other highlight, you know, high level observation about the art is 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 that there's there's a lot to fit in. I mean, there's 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 a lot going on. There's a lot of jumping between scenes. A lot of characters, and some of these, you know, pages there. There's you know one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or so uh, panels to to each of these pages on that just ha that happen to be on the the pages that I'm I've got it flipped flipped open to so so it's uh you know quite quite a lot of um work that the artist has to do per page to, to do one of these extra things thanks to an inexperienced writer yeah actually brandon, <laughs> brandon do you want to do you want to talk about that um uh sort of a high level question um what did writing this arc teach you about writing um a lot a lot uh and you know you learn some of that in retrospect um uh, I definitely was cramming a lot in here, um, and, I, and I don't think it's to the point of overstuffed, but I think that there's about as much going on in these four issues as there possibly could be. And, and uh, there are definitely some times when I should have let a scene breathe a little bit more. Uh, because you're right, I, you know, every page is, is just full of panels, and that, that comes from me. That, you know, that comes from that, that detailed script. You know, I think that... Uh, you know, things that I, I tried to do, uh, and this happened more than once in G.I. Joe, where I, I tried a, a gag that I thought would be a good visual gag, uh, and, and it didn't, I don't think it quite landed the way that I wanted it to, like airtight with the fake hand. Uh, oh, I just, love that scene. <laughs> okay, did you? Because yeah. I didn't feel like it actually ended up working. And, and like, I was trying to go back to, you know, I'm trying to go back to the file cards and the basics of the characters and, like, you know, him being a prankster and all that kind of stuff. And I just, like, I, I didn't know if, if that actually worked the way that I wanted it to. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I thought that it worked really well because you get you get the two guys and they're talking and then here comes Beachhead and Beachhead's all hard ass. And then, you know, you get the stoic faces of Beachhead, Flash, and Tripwire and airtight's like I'm airtight. I'm pleased to meet you. And I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking, well, that's kind of odd, you know, that a, a Joe would be like. And, and I'm like, but not odd in a bad way. I'm like, well, that's nice, you know. He's showing respect. He's like, oh yeah, look, you guys are, you know, we're all just Joes. You know, you guys aren't necessarily Joes, but you're just, you know, you're just average Joes here. I mean, shake your hand. And then you turn the page, and he pulls his hand off, and I'm like, ha, that's totally airtight. I literally <laughs> laughed out loud when I read that. I really did. Oh, good, I'm gonna, good, good, I'm okay. gonna jump in here. Um, I think, so, you know, all these comics are collaborations. And so, Brandon, something that you, you think is going to work or you hope is going to work in the script may not work when the artist gets their hands on it or when the colorist gets their hands on it. 
I think that I think this joke works fine. I think the colorist sort of killed it because like the mm. green that's right behind the like fake hand is the same green. Yes. So it doesn't read as a thing that popped off. When I read this panel, I saw the sound effect snap and I'm like, is that ice? Because it's the sound of uh, the, the little um, like the two bursts by the sound effect are colored light blue and white. And I thought I had to like sort of read the panel a second time like, oh, OK, it's a fake hand. Um, and then again, in the second panel uh, where um, he's holding up yeah. his actual hand and then his left hand is coming in to sort of like tuck in the like wrist glove part of his actual hand. And then the fake hand, like all three of those are touching. So you have this like green, green, green. So I think in terms yep. of composition, uh, not not the best like comedic timing and layout for this joke, this visual joke, right? It's like, Eddie Browse, can he draw like action? Yes. Can he draw visual jokes like a year into his comics career? Maybe not. And then the colorist isn't helping. Yeah, visually it wasn't the best, but uh, I got the idea. Okay, good, good. Uh, and, and sort of, I think, you know, it, it's sort of tying into to Airtight's character as established in in his rare appearances in the original run and also his his file card and i think helpfully as well it also follows on from dan jolly's arc which featured uh, yeah. airtight and he was sort of cracking some jokes there as, as well so we kind of remembered that you know been recently reminded that that airtight is you know is a bit a, a bit of a, a joker i think that same gag sort of uh, gets repeated in the in the uh, yeah. later on in the book again right what what that made me think though was like you know they're on this life or death mission, and uh, an airtight is is dragging around a spare hand <laughs> just on the off chance that he can pull this gag. He's the guy that always has a rubber chicken in his backpack. He's got a strange sense of priorities. I want to. I just want to call out one more thing about the art, which I think is a representation of Barrows being a really good artist who's learning, uh, which is on the page after this hand gag where they've got the briefing. And Duke is in front of the screen, and he says, uh, "This is Musad uh, Sharifi." So Duke is a real person in the foreground, and yeah. Musad yes. Sharifi is on the screen behind them. Okay, so let's separate for a moment that the colorists have made a mistake, and they have colored Duke's hand. They've taken the black of Duke's hand and they've knocked it back mm. to like a dark green, so that Duke's hand actually looks like it's part of the image on the screen that it belongs to the doctor. Right, so that isn't helping. Bad, bad colorist. But what's <laughs> what's what's happening here is Barrows is choosing, just like the big panel on page one that Mark already mentioned. Barrows is panic, uh, choosing a difficult angle, right, like an upshot of someone. And compositionally, it's really bold because um, we've got this dynamic angle, and we're looking past Duke to see this uh, important character on the screen behind him. But Barrows makes a choice here, which is that. He, he, he shows us basically the exact same angle for Duke as Sharifi. They're both blonde, and uh, they're both wearing sort of the same kind of shirt, right? It's not like Sharifi is in like a lab coat or a tuxedo or like a hazmat suit or like, uh, right, I, I don't know, a feather boa, right? So <laughs> Barrows, and, and I'm, I don't know if in uh, Brandon's script, there's like a specific description that the scientist has like a mustache and a little bit of a goatee or not. But Barrows, whether whether by accident or on on purpose, is 
creating a visual echo between Duke and this scientist behind him who is not a Joe, not Duke. And even though he plays an important part in the issue, in the story, we actually see very little in the story. And so there's this, there's this small like confusion that I have when I see this panel, because instead of showing me the thing that makes this scientist the most different from Duke, his facial hair, Barrows puts Duke in the way of the facial hair and blocks it. And so, yes, obviously the guy on the screen is not Duke, but like when you look at this panel, right, the way that we read comics is we see the picture first, then we start to read the dialogue and then, or the, the wording, and then our eyes go back and forth and we like create the full meaning. So when I see this panel, I'm like, oh, I, I think Duke is like on a live feed on the screen behind himself, like you'd see a politician at a political rally. And then I read the, the, the three word balloons and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a scientist. And then I think, why does the scientist look so much like Duke? So Barrows does a lot of hard work in these four issues and is doing a very good job. But uh, this panel is a representation to me of like every single thing about a comic is one, difficult, and two, a choice. Fair. Um, I was just on these same same pages. There, there's a, there's a point that I was going to talk to. So it's just the the panel before the the Duke one that, that Tim was talking about, which is where the team is essentially being in, introduced and and as to why they're they're going on it. That they're talking about their it, it's it's again it's the Mission Impossible style uh, choice that um, Dan Jolly was talking about last time, which was about you know. Choose, choosing your Joes and choosing them appropriate for the specialization to be employed in, in the mission. So it says uh, that Airtight's the only one qualified to handle the virus. Tripwires along in case they've wired the plane or the lab. Flashes the man to crack the electronic lock. And uh, Beachhead is team leader and uh, is a badass. That That's not in the script, but uh, he is. It's sort of talking to, to the choice of, you know, why these particular Joes are being selected and it's not just completely arbitrary and, you know, gives us as a reader uh, and fans sort of some confidence that that Brandon as the writer knows his Joes uh, and, you know, is, is choosing some choosing them appropriately for, you know, for the mission. Just like later on, we have Shockwave as a door kicker, you know, and so on. And, and Flint uh, pretending to be As Bullhorn. As a hostage negotiator, yeah. <laughs> well, but here's the yeah. thing. I was thinking about that. Since that's Flint and not Bullhorn, that actually works because the negotiations don't go that well. And Flint's <laughs> right, not, right. that's not his job, you know? So that's a, that's a very good point, you know? I I thought about I thought about being a, a real pill about it and just putting in a line where somebody after after it goes so terribly wrong somebody been like we should have called bullhorn but you know uh, <laughs> no uh, you know the thing about the specialties is you know I mean look it's very obvious I'm sure to anyone who's ever read or seen anything that like in this storyline I took every beat from every espionage spy secret mission thing you know i i did want that mission impossible moment you know this is you're the specialist this is why this is what you're going to do i like it when they explain people's jobs before the mission right because that tells you that it's not going to go that way uh so here's what's supposed to be happening but like when i was a kid even i was like no one ever played gi joe with me i only ever played gi joe by myself because it was such a complicated undertaking like i kept notes and i had 
storylines when I was a kid and like if something happened to a character the next time I played with my toys they still had a broken arm or we time jumped mm-hmm. or something I'm not I'm not even kidding I did the uh, same thing you had like your own kind of running storyline that went yes. through as you played yeah and and mine yes. were like chess pieces almost like I didn't bang them together I would move them around my room to wherever the story called for their position to be. That's right. That's right. And, and for me, like I never, you know, I never used tripwire as a helicopter pilot, right? Like he was, he did his job. Uh, And these were, uh, you know, every Joe in the story is somebody that I really liked, you know, playing with the action figure when I was a kid. So even airtight, uh, it was easy to lean into that. Oh, I love <laughs> air. I couldn't get airtight fast enough. Wow. I like I loved the trip wires and the airtights and Lightfoot was kind of a goon, but you know, I still <laughs> like these these very specialized specialists, right? Yeah. Uh, He'll never be as cool as Snake Eyes. No. Um <laughs> but, Okay. All right. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's a callback to uh to uh, Dan Jolly's Icebound yeah. arc. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> but no, you're right, Brandon. There are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of spy movie tropes, I guess you'd say, in here and, and, and action stuff. But it works. It really all works very well. I thought that the the first, you know, you mentioned that you crammed a lot of stuff in here. We've talked a lot, um, you know, especially during Reinstated and uh, and The Last Stand and, and a couple of the, the other arcs that had a lot of stuff going on and especially one like reinstated about how there was just too much stuff going on and i was thinking about this after i read the first two issues i was like there was a lot of stuff in there but i agree with what you said at no time did it feel like too much you know it was like there's a lot of story there that could have been yeah maybe it could have been stretched out to another couple issues or something and i'm talking about the first part but it really didn't need to be it read really well the way that it was and I didn't feel like there was too much stuff crammed in there. You had a, you know, basically a tight cast and uh yeah, I thought it flowed really well. Oh, well, thanks. Uh excellent. So, um another another thing that that sort of jumped out for me as as I was reading this kind of that only works in complete hindsight uh was a parallel between this this part with Chuckles uh, in his deep cover status and, um, you know, having being put on the spot that he's potentially going to have to shoot his Joe colleagues to, to maintain that, you know, deep, deep cover uh, and, and not blow it, um, which was the kind of parallel to the Cobra series that then came many, many years later where mm-hmm. Chuckles is put in a very similar spot uh, and having to choose between um, shooting a teammate uh, or blowing his uh, cover interesting that that, that sort of uh, that idea i mean it's not it's not you know necessarily uh, an idea that that's not you know there's a, there's a kind of a trope there in terms of it being seen before in movies and stuff so but but interesting that 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 idea sort of came around uh, probably the the second time that chuckles was uh, in the spotlight after after this issue these issues probably yeah, no, I mean, it's the tropiest trope of all. It's the loyalty test, right? And I, uh, if I remember correctly, and maybe I'm giving myself too much credit, but there, I think there's a scene earlier in, in this first issue where they're, where the others are marching through the snow and somebody asks Beachhead, like, you know, how far do we go to not blow his cover? Like, and Beachhead's like, you know, if you have to put a bullet in a friend to save his life, 
then you shouldn't hesitate to do that. And and I wanted I was trying to set up the very real concern that Chuckles might actually shoot one of them, right? Uh, to to base on that parallel principle that they were that they were applying the same thing to him, uh, and then you know to come up with this big very tropey cliffhanger of him having to shoot them. I wanted to put a little bit of genuine fear that he might actually do it. Yes, and it was a literal cliffhanger. It was it was the way the issue issue uh, one closed out with him him being asked to to shoot one of these men. No, yeah, let's 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 get it fine properly. Prove yourself. Prove your loyalty to Cobra and win your life back from me. All you have to do is kill one of these men. To be continued. That was to be continued. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Thanks, Doctor Claw. Very good. Mark. Good work. Yeah, I thought that worked really well, and it was fun when I was reading it because um, I've I've thought about this, you know, this exact scenario that, that Mark mentioned with with the cobra, and in reading that, I was always kind of like, wow, it reads really well, but part of me was always like, I feel like he should have found a way to get out of it you know it could have gi joe would have found a way so when i read this i was like what's gonna happen i'm like here he's presented with basically the same scenario i'm like i know he doesn't do what he's you know what the guy wants him to do or else i would have heard about that 10 years ago <laughs> uh, you know but i still didn't know how i was gonna get i forgot about the cia guy but i'm like wow what, what's gonna happen here and i thought well you know give Look at the two scenarios in, in the in the Cobra with, with Chuckles and Jinx. It's basically Chuckles and Jinx and two guards, okay? And I always thought, dude, bang, bang, you can do it. You're a Joe. Uh, but here he's got all these guys surrounding him. There's just, I'm like, there's no way he's getting out of this. I'm like, how is he going to get out of this? So, yeah, you had me on the cliffhanger. Oh, great. Always, always the goal. I'm not, by the way, <laughs> affiliated with the Jerwa estate or, or getting any kind of payback or money from them, just in case anybody is curious. Mark has my PayPal info, though. Brandon, if you want to slip me a few bucks after the show. Oh, okay. All right. There's a little something extra in your check this yeah, week. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was a little confused by the first page of the final chapter where... Uh, Chuckles and this uh, woman we haven't met before are having this heartfelt exchange and I couldn't tell if it was if it was played straight like this is actually how they felt or if this was a melodrama and I thought oh is this like a movie or a TV show that like we're watching or one of the Joes is watching or is Chuckles having like a dream or a fantasy of sort of like what inspired him to become an undercover agent because uh, we haven't met this woman yet, and I thought on this first page, I thought, oh, this must be the woman that's on the cover, who's got the blonde hair. Because oh, on the yeah. cover, there's a blonde woman who's turned away from Chuckles, who's sad and crying. And on the first page, there's this blonde woman who's sad that Chuckles is leaving and she's crying. And then I thought, why is she older on the cover? Because she has some lines on her face. And then it turns out that you know that is uh wingfield's uh, mom and then jesse this love interest for chuckles um so i i appreciate the attempt to give some backstory to also I, I should say um uh barrows here is using a comics convention which i do like which is um not always used which is that flashback panels have rounded corners 
whereas all present-day comics panels that are squares and rectangles have like right angle, they're squares and rectangles, right angle corners. But because these are all um, horizontal, they sort of look like TV screens. Uh, and and I feel like and and later in the issue, uh, there are in fact when the newscasters are talking uh, about the hostage situation, there are they're more like traditionally like TV shaped uh, screens. But um, so uh, the the introduction of a of of a, a character from Chuckles' past, right? It's like that makes the dialogue in the final page on the final like three panels that makes that work. Uh, but for the larger story, it, it felt, um, like it showed up out of nowhere that, cause like, no, like, you know, when Chuckles is in jail, he's not like, I'm coming back to you, Jesse. And when Chuckles is like, Duke, man, Central Park at 5 a.m. sure is autumnal. I, I, I gotta get out so I can go see Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally fair. Uh, I don't disagree, actually. That is, that is an aspect that I probably could have left out. Because uh, cause he's on the ground there and he's like, you know, he's there's there's the there's the melodrama one page at opening and then he, he's waking up and it's Jesse. And, you know, maybe maybe there's an aspect of that is a bit dreamlight, heightened reality, unreliable uh, narrator. I, I yeah. wondered, uh, Brandon, in your mind, if, if you if you can remember this, when do you think that that sequence was? Was it bef- right before this mission or, or, or before um, Chuckles joined the the Joes all all the way, you know, back. I, I wasn't too sure about the sense of time that maybe has passed between this and then him, you know, at the end of the the mission, him saying, you know, I have to get back in touch with Jesse because, you know, if it's 20 years on or whatever. No, uh, I think that uh, I want to say that my intent, I, I suspect, was that it was prior to the going undercover in extensive enterprises, mm-hmm. which they which I say is what, two years, three four years, four years, four so, years. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 pre that. Uh-huh. I also um uh I don't know how much of this is a story thing or an art thing. Um <laughs> I was I was a little distracted by Chuckles' changing hair in this story and not <laughs> yes. not not Agreed. because he's on not because he's undercover. That's like okay, I think when he's jogging with Duke at the beginning of the story, I think the idea is he's wearing a wig. And then certainly when he like meets the Cobra agents to make the deal and he's got the uh, the goatee and like the long hair sort of as a ponytail, it's like, okay, well, I don't know if that's a wig or if he's dyed his hair, but like it's brown now. But then when in the third or fourth chapter, he's back to like short blonde hair or like slightly longer blonde hair. And I thought... Wait, was he wearing a wig for the six weeks that he was in prison? Like that's gonna fall off and blow his cover. So I I think this is me like digging a little too deeply into the very specifics of of like sort of physical logic in a story. You know, it's like wait, would it take three hours to drive to New York or three hours and fifteen minutes? And it's like I don't I don't and actually his hair's think different in the flashback too. He's like almost every time we see him, he's got and the covers look different. Yeah, so <laughs> that's four I, years so, ago. So yeah. I under, okay, so that yeah. so no, you're both you're both right. That that first page of chapter four, it makes sense. This is a long time ago, and the covers it is longer. Uh, and this is a character who. Um, this is a there's something about the character of Chuckles where like all of G.I. Joe has never officially landed on the phenotype of this cover because Larry Hama thinks of Chuckles as a really big guy. And uh, I, I feel like Chuckles is actually like 
a U.S. Marshal, like the sort of conspicuous, inconspicuous guy that you see who's already boarded a, a, up an airplane. And yes, you see yes. like a guy who's just like trying to blend in, like reading a magazine on the first seat when you walk down the aisle of a plane. And like that guy's packing and he's there to stop terrorists if there's a terrorist on this plane. But then the, like the joke of Chuckles, and this is like a Hasbro thing, is that he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, right? It's like, wait, is he... Is he undercover or is is like is he undercover and I'm a kid and it's like no Gung Ho's going on an Arctic mission of course he's got like no coat um, or is it that or is it like oh well, in this one moment in story logic when we've like frozen Chuckles to make an action figure it's like well he's in Hawaii or something um, and uh, I feel like and if you look at um, Russ Heath's model sheet for Chuckles for GI Joe the movie he's really big which which yeah. makes sense. But like as a kid, I didn't understand why in that one scene where he's there in the movie, he's like the biggest of all of them. It's like, wait, shouldn't like Beachhead be the biggest or like Big Lob is like a basketball player? It's like, no, Chuckles is actually huge. But like over at Marvel Comics, sort of no one got the memo. And over at IDW, sort of <laughs> sort of no one got the memo. And like, look at, look at Devils Do, right? Like Francis Manipul's wonderful cover for issue 11, right? Like Chuckles just looks like a regular guy here, not particularly big or like very, very big. And so something about his like ever-changing hair and facial hair and hair color in the story like actually works in the, like the long-term confusion of uh, Chuckles' visual. Um, cause it's like, it's like, wait, is he, is this, is this Magnum PI or is this Miami Vice or is this something else? Right. You know who it's he like, is? Right. He's Christian Bale. Totally changes for every role. Yeah. Or maybe Gary Oldman. Uh, yes, yes. He's, he's a John Hurt and he disappears yeah. into, uh, into each role. Um, <laughs> but I like, besides the sort of the nitpicking of like, wait, wouldn't his like wig have fallen off in the prison? Um, I do think for, for sake of like a story that's got so much going on in terms of a lot of characters, a lot of scene changes and a lot of like time jumps, I feel like uh, if, if, if Chuckles had been a little, it's like, you know, when, when, when I see him the next scene and he's like got the brown goatee and the brown hair and he's meeting a Cobra guy, I had to stop for a moment. It's like, oh, right. This is Chuckles. He's undercover. But I, I, I sort of almost feel like. I wasn't sure if that was him either. Okay, so all right, so I feel like okay, so if the rules of GI Joe are that it's all a little silly and we're just gonna meet them halfway because like Gung Ho doesn't have a shirt and he's gonna like I don't even mean the Arctic he's gonna be in like Maine or like Montana where it's cold <laughs> then I, and 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 like it's like or, no, th- or, no, the, this- or the GI Joe safe house ten miles north of. Uh, Slidell, Louisiana. Yes. Slidell, Louisiana, which <laughs> yeah. is a very real place. Thank you. So, if, and if like if there's a ninja in GI Joe who can stop his heart to appear dead, right? Like, like I'm I'm in my 40s and I'm still only like 90 percent sure that Larry Hama just invented that, and that's not actually a real thing that someone could do. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, do I feel like all the time. I feel like in the sort of fun fantasy logic of G.I. Joe, it's like, okay, like Gung Ho's not going to wear a jacket even though he needs one. So Chuckles is going to be undercover, but like we should still know it's Chuckles. And it's like, no, like Zorana and the Baroness and like uh, Cover Girl, like they can wear wigs. I kind of feel like it's like, no, you should always know it's Chuckles. And like he should kind of like, I don't think he should have his Hawaiian shirt in that scene where he meets the, the Cobra guys in the fancy cars. But I feel like he should have his blonde hair. So I'm like, chuckles. That's chuckles. That's definitely chuckles. 
He should always be in the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I think I think Chuckles should give his Hawaiian shirt to Gung Ho, who's so cold on these on these winter missions. I mean, Chuckles is obviously hanging out in Hawaii. Yeah, wouldn't he be hot wearing that shirt all the time? So one thing that no one ever picked up on ever ever uh, is so I kind of took the the hint from Chuckles and his Hawaiian shirt that part of his process of going undercover sometimes is is hiding in plain sight and being very obvious. So his undercover name when he is in extensive enterprises is Charles Joseph Chuck Joe. Oh, oh and no okay. one has ever commented on that ever. Well, uh, uh, I, instead of being sh- stunned and embarrassed, I'm going to turn this around and say, Talking Joe listeners, how fortunate you are to hear this exciting reveal from the very source. Um, I wanted to ask Brandon, um, can you tell us about Azure? Azure. Azure. Okay, so Wingfield's girlfriend and and. So it's 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 set up that she's going to betray him. Not much longer now, my love. And she says, no, not much longer at all. Um, and then... <laughs> oh, when you say it like that, it sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, oh, it's, uh, no, not much longer at all. That's that's how she replies. Um, right. Not much longer at all. Uh, not much longer at all. So <laughs> she'll be like, Eeyore, like, not much longer now. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm flipping through the second chapter and... And she does betray him, and I feel like there's um, where I, I, I didn't I didn't write this down here, but um, all right, so she stabs him. Ah, what did you? Ah! now you know how I've felt for the last two years, Tyler, pretending to love you as my stomach uh, as you has turned my stomach from day one. One of the Joes mentions like a lady on the inside, and I yeah, wonder. It's the... It's the CIA agent. He mentions yeah. that he's got another oh. uh, agent supporting him. Okay. Yeah. And then you. later later in the wrap-up uh, on the news briefing, uh, they sort of uh, try and, you know, clear up any dr- any doubt by saying two CIA agents were awarded a special medal of, oh, of valor. Okay. Okay. So that being the, the main guy with the bazooka uh, and his uh, female co-agent. Yes. Okay. So, all right, so I, I wondered, it's like, wait, is this Lady J? And that's the dialogue being sort of cheeky so that I, I know that it's going to be Lady J. But I, I can now see I was not reading it carefully enough. So thank you, Mark. But yeah, she was deep undercover under the, his bed covers by the sound of things for mm. two, <laughs> two I, years. I thought that we Don't would see that. her in the second part. I kind of thought that she would be back to be part of that. So disappointed that we didn't see her again. <laughs> She, she served her purpose. Maybe one of you guys can answer this too. Because um, I haven't read most of, you know, I read like Brandon up to maybe 100 of the original A-Ross series. But um, is this the first time that anyone has used, has gone back to the, the Wingfield story? Yes. yes. Yeah. And then Joe Casey went back to it again. Okay. Uh, and brought back. Um, but that was still within Devil's Due. It hasn't been done in yes. either Marvel or IDW. I, I can't speak for IDW, but definitely not in Marvel. Okay. I don't I don't think in IDW either. So this this brings me nicely onto a new um, segment called Cash for Questions, um, and that's where uh, one of our Patreon um, members is able to ask a question 
um, and this is Christopher Hagen, uh, who asked, uh, what was the thinking about uh, re- revisiting the Wingfield oh, uh, Saturday Night uh, Family? <laughs> uh, well, uh, that was always one of my favorite stories uh, from the original run. Uh, that and The Diplomat, which Larry did not write. Stephen Grant wrote The Diplomat. Mm. Um, big fan of, of both of those storylines. Uh, in fact, I wanted to bring back the character of Brian Hassel, uh, and I just could never find a place to put it, put him in. But, um, yeah, I just, I thought that it was a good opportunity to bring in something non-Cobra, uh, just to remind the world that there are elements out there other than Cobra. Uh, and that it was a, a nice little nod to, you know, the things that I loved that brought me into G.I. Joe in the first place. And it seemed like pretty clear and open territory, given that no one had ever revisited it. Um, and so, you know, the whole thing about, like, uh, being betrayed by Azure and then, you know, obviously his mother turning the tables on him, you know, I he idolizes the the Wingfield uh, way of doing things, you know, the way his, his father did things. Uh, and it's clearly proven that that is not an effective method. And all it does is cause the people around you to hate you and turn on you. Uh, it doesn't engender loyalty and it doesn't make you powerful. Uh, it makes you a, a big target uh, to everyone around you. So I wanted to have that sort of history repeating aspect to it uh, and Wingfield seemed like a real obvious way to go with that. As an editorial observation, there is no footnote anywhere in these issues hmm. that leads the reader back to the original issue five. And, uh, you know, that issue was not in print. Uh, actually, wait, when did the Marvel... Oh, I think. When did the Marvel reprints of the first 50 issues come out? Well after, I think. Uh, huh. Um, but, you know, clearly, like, Devil's Do uh, is, is in the Marvel continuity, but is not feeling strongly about sort of directing people to the previous issues, like, as a thing to go by, or sort of reasonably assuming that most everyone has them. I don't think they did much of that at all, right? Yeah, correct, correct. Um, do, are, there are... Brandon, Sorry, there was two... 2002 so actually the, oh, they are they are in print the marvel oh. the marvel collection would have come out relatively yeah, shortly they, before yeah. this a year yeah wow. a year before. Uh, for those for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about if you imagine uh, idw's classic gi joe volumes one through five marvel first published those as gi joe volumes one through five uh and then idw just grabbed the the files when they got the license so brandon um there are several people in this story uh, there are some um, characters that show up for a single panel where uh, Eddie Barrows is clearly drawing a, uh, from photo reference, like a famous person, like in um, issue 13 and chapter three, there's a panel with uh, someone who's clearly Jennifer Gardner from the TV show. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's one of my eye spies. Oh, all right. Let me, let me phrase this differently. I'll give that one back to you, uh, Mark. Um, wait, uh, Brandon, the, the, the CIA, the CIA guy, who makes contact with Shuckles. Yeah. He has a different facial type uh, hairstyle and he has a little mustache. Whereas most of the characters that Eddie Barrows is drawing in this story are like, you know, sort of like the Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent, just like square jaw action hero guys. This CIA guy has a different face. 
Is this someone in particular, or did you specify something in your script? Uh, no, that is not uh, that is not a, a person that I offered any kind of uh, reference for. I, there are multiple people uh, who uh, were friends of mine um, who are in this, uh, the newscasters, ah. uh, uh, and and all of that, and and we'll talk about that other scene that we're moving on from. Um, okay. Uh, later, I guess, but uh, yeah, I mean, there are there are definitely some people in here who uh, were friends of my. Uh, it's I know a Masood Sharifi, even though he doesn't look anything like that <laughs> particular person. <clears throat> so one of the newscast presenters was a guy called Tom Shear, and Wikipedia yep. tells me that he's an American musician and music producer and the sole member of Electronic Act Assemblage Twenty Three. Is that is that um. The, uh, the person that, that had the reference for, for that particular character. Yes, yes. Um, so Tom Shear, uh, uh, at the time, I, I don't think it had happened yet, but I I had a band called SD6, uh, which is a reference to Alias, um, and uh, Tom produced our album, and uh-huh. uh, we were released on his label. A uh, good friend of mine. And the, the other newscaster looked like, uh, had a distinctive name and looked like it might have been a, a real person as well. Was it something like Wendy? Wait, Megan or... Mace, right? Megan was Mace. Megan Mace? Yeah, yeah Megan, uh, Megan Mace was uh, the drummer of my band and also uh-huh. eventually uh, married Tom Shear. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah. Did they have the original page to that, <laughs> to that no, issue? No, no, I don't think so. Sad. Uh, sad. Brandon, uh, two-part question. One, did you sing for your band, and therefore, two, will you be singing the next jingle Ooh, for yourself? Question. Are you going to collaborate with Mark on this 65-minute jingle <laughs> for your uh, second appearance on Talking Joe? Uh, I Listen, I am available. You should know, and I, I just – can I brag for just a second here? <laughs> So uh, I am a musician still to this day. I just released an EP yesterday on Bandcamp under the name Later Humans. It's all ambient, electro, instrumental type stuff. However, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, an Irish electro act called Last Survivor uh, released uh, a new single. And I am on the B side of the single singing a cover of Ashes to Ashes by Faith No More. Uh, and that single is currently in the Irish iTunes Hot 100. Uh, we mm. actually cracked the top 20 when it came out. Um, and uh, the main guy in Last Survivor, uh, there's two guys, I don't want to say a main guy, but what prominent figure in Last Survivor is a guy named Decky Headrock. And I mentioned Headrock uh, in a conversation between Damon and Firewall. Yeah. Uh, in this arc, uh, he's a. I met Decky because he's a huge GI Joe fan, and I fell in <laughs> love with his music as Headrock Valley Beats, and so I made a reference uh, to Headrock. But I met him on the Devil's Due forums. Small world. And just to, to echo Tim's point, we're always on the lookout for experimenting with new um, sort of theme tunes for the show. So if you did want, you know, as a writer, sing it. If you did want to write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Um, you know, you're welcome to to have a go and we'll we'll definitely uh give it give it a shot on the show i'll have my assistant send you a rate sheet (laughs) (laughs) um i do a mean rick astley so if you ever want to you know if you want to rickroll somebody i'm i'm your man excellent um so the yeah so we were talking about like uh, sort of characters from the past sort of making their way into into this this 
a storyline. So yeah. uh, f- I'm guessing Flash as your very first figure um, had to to make an uh, an appearance. Yes, yes. And uh, and Chuckles, what was it that captured your imagination for for making Chuckles the lead character? Uh, Chuckles uh, was one of my favorite figures uh, and one of my favorite characters. Uh, and I too was perplexed by how large he was uh, <laughs> when he would show up. But um, uh, I I loved the idea of Chuckles. I was also when I was a kid. I was also into like the Equalizer and Miami Vice and and a lot of those types of of crime and and espionage shows. Um, and at the time I was really enjoying Alias at the time that I wrote this, uh, I was uh-huh. really big into Alias and it was nice to, to revisit those sort of, you know, mission impossible type spy things. And so like, yeah, as a kid, like I used chuckles all the time. Uh, he was constantly running around in his Hawaiian shirt, infiltrating Cobra. Uh, but, uh, like I just, it, it seemed like a good space to play in. And the fact that it coincided with using some of my favorite characters, I mean, like, you know, snake eyes never shows up. Right. Uh, yep. in, in this. So I, uh, you know, wanted to play with the, the toys that I loved as a kid. Yeah. I'm surprised that wasn't a note. Can you, can you not just somehow crowbar snake eyes in somehow? <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever said that. Uh, nobody ever said, Hey, this would be better with snake eyes in it. So I just, <laughs> he could be the hostage negotiator, maybe. <laughs> Might be better at it. Couldn't be worse. <laughs> I don't think I ever played with Chuckles when I was a kid. As a matter of fact, and this is probably because I mentioned this in an earlier episode of the show, I took my Chuckles apart and gave Duke his lower half and his pistol and holster. So, yeah, Chuckles Damn. never really existed in my head canon. Do you know that as a kid, uh, I ne- it never occurred to me to try to take a G.I. Joe figure apart? I, it wouldn't have me, except I bought one that was, um, the rubber band had slipped. And my dad was oh. like, oh, maybe we can fix this. And when he found that screw in the back and it all popped open, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, oh, wow, you can take these things apart? I can't imagine what I would have done with yeah. that knowledge. Like I just can't because mm. I again I was like you. Like I don't I don't I didn't I didn't bang my figures together. I never taped a firecracker to anything. I never took them outside. <laughs> no, I mean, right. Like, like, and and but if I had known that, yep. like we would have gone to town. Oh, right. Like that. A know? lot of mine were customized. Yeah. I yeah. If you'd look, you you would be like, okay, well that's Quick Kick's arms. That's so and so. Yeah. I, I kind of. <laughs> switched around parts that i needed i had a punisher figure that i made that was you know yeah it was nice oh god i just had to pretend that my gi joe figures were other things snake eyes you're spider-man sorry (laughs) that's it buddy um i remembered the uh the 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 question i meant to ask which when i had my brain fart um which was um tim you mentioned that the larry um sees chuckles as a a big guy i just wondered if um if you had some insight on that particular point, because aside from the movie appearance and that one appearance from that uh, Todd McFarlane issue, where again, he was drawn as a, a big guy. Every other time he's, a, he's, he's sort of shown up, he's tended to be, you know, more regular proportions. And in more recent years looking like uh, Owen Wilson. I don't have anything to add. Just that uh, Hama has said sort of conversationally when when looking at the way that Chuckles is drawn in the comics, Larry's like, well, he's a big guy. He's a a big guy. (laughs) Cool. I spy spy with with my my little eye. eye.
Uh, I Spy is a segment where we sort of uh, dig into the details, look for some little Easter eggs and little things that we've uh, noticed caught our, caught our eye. And this is the one that's sort of uh, you know been burning a hole in what whatever the metaphor is for for me, <laughs> which is that on uh, that page, issue thirteen, page eight. So we've got a scene here. It's. Um, multi-agency intelligence briefing and what i noticed there is we've got some some faces that are looking like likenesses um, (laughs) and and they're representing the different branches of the intelligence services so we've got uh on the bottom left we've got jennifer garner or sydney bristow from the series alias representing the cia or uh, possibly, uh, as, as you say, uh, the more villainous um, uh, agency. But uh, I think that would have been uh, asked to get them on that particular meeting. Um, <laughs> then we've got uh, Keith Sutherland, a.k.a. Jack Bauer, representing CTU from 24. And then finally on the right, we've got FBI Assistant Director Walter Skinner from the X-Files. Yep, yep. I'll, that, I'll take my round of applause. That's in that's in the <laughs> Brandon, that's in the script. That's a request. That, that, yeah, that is all in the script. And I, I was just sure that they were going to uh they were going to turn me down on that one. But yeah, no, I, I wanted to uh I just wanted to, you know, have that moment of like all of this stuff exists in a larger world. Uh, and I, I don't think there's anything so real world about the X-Files 24 or Alias that it precludes it from being in the same universe as G.I. Joe. Is that John Constantine in the last panel walking away? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> kind of looks like it. Could be, could be. The paranormal wing. Um, yeah. That's actually gung-ho with uh, Chuckles' <laughs> wig finally wearing a coat. <laughs> I love the inclusion of uh, of Jack Bauer in here. I'm a huge twenty four fan, huge Kevin or a Keeper Sutherland fan. So love love seeing him in here. And it's amazing how of just a few lines. You know, yeah. we've only got him on one panel. Just how a few lines can immediately capture um, who that's meant to be. It's, it's like uh, you just say, draw great, someone great like sucking a lemon. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Keeper Sutherland. Oh dear. I'll uh, I'll move on to another uh, what I spy. Uh, I spy that Tyler Wigfield seems to have the same tailor as CIA spy Duke, Snake Eyes, and also Spirit. Yeah, yeah, that bodysuit was a very popular item. uh, (laughs) It was one of the best sellers back in 2003. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I had nothing to do with that, but they they sure shopped at the same place, for sure. (laughs) I have two I spies. Um, this same issue, chapter three, issue 13, uh, page seven, panel one, uh, one of the, uh, one of the guards in the prison is, uh, identifies himself as the priest. This would, this would be a reference to Daryl, the priest. That's right. That's um, right. Who in 2003, uh, he had started working at Hasbro, right? Or was well, he, he must've, I wouldn't have known him from anything else. Okay. Cause he was, he was. He was a mega fan who was who was active on like discussion. He was a, like he was in fandom before he worked for Hasbro. Like GI Joe fans knew him, although more twelve mm. uh, inch Joe. Because he did he he did some writing, right? That he didn't he publish some. Uh, yeah, GI yeah, his, yeah. His his book is called The Collectible GI Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I don't know him outside of of that. Like, 
So yeah, I think he was director of marketing for the GI Joe line and then global brand management uh, at Hasbro. Yes, thank you. My other I spy is that uh, two of these issues in the um, eight or ten pages of ads in the back, two of these <laughs> two of these issues are a full page ad for a it never happened comic series uh-huh. written by Larry Hama and drawn by Pablo Ramundi called Oxido, and I have referred to this in a previous episode of Talking Joe. Um, in I Spy, when a letters page, someone said, uh, "Can Larry Hama come back and write more comics?" and the answer was something like. Uh, Hama's busy with um, his new creator-owned or co-owned series Oxido coming soon from Devil's Due. And I had forgotten when that reference, just words, just text in the letters page, uh, showed up that we do see an image later on mm-hmm. in the comic. This comic never happened. Uh, and a couple years later, I think I think Pablo Ramundi was trying to get it out through image. Um, and, you know, it's 2021. Uh, it has not happened. I don't know. Uh, if any of it was ever like written and drawn, but I know that uh, Hama and Ramundi were developing it uh, for. Oh, maybe it was. I think it was maybe maybe the second attempt was uh, Top Cow uh, through Image, but um, uh, it it has not happened. I I vaguely remember that now. Like I I remember hearing about that because you know you, you work for the company, you're going to hear about these things. Uh, but like yeah, I wow, I'd totally forgotten about Oxido. What I like about this image is that uh, my initial impression is like oh superhero team, and I start to like rattle off types. It's like okay, you're going to have the leader guy. It's 2003, right? So please forgive me. You're going to have the leader guy. You're going to have the babe. You're going to have the big guy. You're going to have the attitude guy. And then I realize. Oh, this actually is turning a lot of that, a lot of that on its head, because um, you know, well, there's a there's a, a younger sort of wise character in the front, and there's a a small like dinosaur person, and then there's <laughs> like the big guy may also be the attitude guy. Uh, so uh, I'm bummed that uh, that this never happened, whatever it was. Mm. Uh, my final, uh, I spy and, you know, I, I, I sort of had to kind of draw a line under too much uh, of this cause there's, there's a lot of peppering of, uh, you know, characters that we've not seen too much of and all that kind of thing. Uh, but we get a mention at the very end to Glenda and Claymore following up leads in Brazil. Uh, Glenda was an exclusive figure that was available from, uh, GI Joe in Argentina, by the Plaz Terima uh, toy company, and Claymore was released in 1986 in the Toys R Us exclusive Special Mission Brazil boxed set. So deep cuts there on uh, some GI Joe members. Uh, yeah, Claymore. Um, weirdly, I never had a Claymore figure. I was just obsessed with the character, uh, and um, I ended up using Claymore quite a bit. Uh, and the Glenda reference was just you know for the for the fun of it, I guess. Uh, although I did end up referencing those characters again later, uh, towards the end of the main run. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just a little, a little throwaway tagline, you know, that not tagline, but a little throwaway line that, that just, again, spoke to the bigger universe. And I was glad that they Mm. let me keep it in. Jay, was there anything that you'd picked up? Uh, the only ice boy I have really is just kind of an overall note. I notice, uh, as someone with a luxurious full head of gray hair, 
There's an awful <laughs> lot of follically challenged people in the G.I. Joe Devil's Do universe. And we've got Tyler now. And, you know, that sounds snarky, but it, it's actually a legitimate point because um, there were instances like in the beginning when I thought, is that Alexander Destro? I mean, we've just seen a lot of people that, you know, are bald uh, it, throughout these issues and, and sometimes even a goon or two. And it's like, yeah, we it's had kind of like Dikembe. Tim said, with, with keeping the characters um, recognizable, instantly recognizable, when you throw somebody else in there, you know, and, and when you've got an artist's kind of generic face that they use for everyone and no hair, it's just like, well, this is uh, any number of, ba- of of bald guys in the book. Who, who could it be? <laughs> <laughs> you this, know. Is, this is why bad guys should always have scars. Yeah, or something. <laughs> like, something Who's that to... guy with that diagonal line on his face? That's Zaymot. <laughs> They've all got scars, right, right, but, right. but they're all going to have different scars, right? Like, who's yeah, that guy with a like a Batman scars. symbol on his forehead? It's like, oh, that's that's so and so. That's Batman. Um, I have, uh, I have, uh, I have two error detecteds. Uh oh. Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Uh, which, uh, shocking, they're both color. Um, in the first chapter, uh, page 17, panel one, uh, page 17, panel one, Beachhead's pants are too light. They're not dark gray. And so he sort of like blends in with the other two guys, but like two, one or two or three panels previously, it's like, no, he, he's got dark gray pants in this scene. Uh, and then... Um, uh, the page after the Jennifer Gardner, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Walter Skinner. I'm sorry, I forget the actor's name. Um, the page after that. So this is uh, this is issue 13, page nine. Um, all right. So there are three Joes in this room. Chuckles is standing and holding a mug. Let's forget Gung Ho for a second. Blowtorch is on the right. Um, so in panel three, Chuckles is holding up his mug, right? In the scene, Chuckles and Blowtorch, if you squint, they look the exact same because they both have short blonde hair and white shirts, right? But then in panel five, uh, Blowtorch says, seriously though, are you okay here? And if this is the cartoon, it's gonna be Michael Bell doing a, what is it, Scottish accent? Seriously though, are you okay here? Uh, (laughs) uh, You're you're, you're welcome, thank you. Uh, And the colorists did not catch the blue that should be uh, on either side of uh, Blowtorch's hand because he's got a white and blue shirt. And so this scene sort of reads like, uh, like there's, it reads like Chuckles talks and then Chuckles talks and then Chuckles talks. But no, one of those guys talking is Blowtorch. Tim, you strike me as the kind of guy who might just walk around town and wish that he could leave a Yelp review about everything. Well, um, so I'm I'm on Yelp as a business owner. I'm not on Yelp as, as someone who who writes comments. And I actually I think Yelp culture is problematic. But that's that's an that's an essay for another venue. But I, I will say that um, you know I I mean I teach comics and I I teach animation and a lot of uh, a lot of classes critique and. Uh, you know, comics are expensive and it's all professionals doing them. And I know comics are hard and there are like third parties like licensors and editors. And I know that um, the, the uh, schedule is always behind. But 
uh, I always want my comics to be perfect. <laughs> so I'm always a little disappointed. <laughs> so then he's disappointed every time he reads a comic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always a little disappointed. Turn on your soundbite recorder now because here's one for free. Uh-oh. I love talking, Joe, because they're so precise and they're so real about the things that they are digging into. They care. They want every comic to be perfect because comics are expensive and they're hard to make. And nobody knows that better than Tim Finn. <laughs> and that's why he offers such detailed critiques and analysis of every single panel of every single book they read. This is a dedication to quality that I, Brandon Jerwa, admire in the Talking Joe podcast. Wow. Can you say, I'm Brandon Jerwa, and I approve this message? (laughs) I'm Brandon Jerwa, and Tim Finn did not approve this message. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, thank you, Brandon. It's nice to know that uh, that, uh, this point of view doesn't come across as uh overly onerous no absolutely not and and i'm being very serious i'm not none of this is sarcasm like i am such an easy mark like if you entertain me i don't notice half of half of the the gaffes or the the little errors because i i just sort of like will give myself over to something this means that i probably like a lot of crap uh, and I'm very well aware of this, but I'm I am an easy like I I am an easy consumer in that way. Like, oh, did I have fun? Did this cheeseburger taste good? Yeah, great. And so I don't I don't tend to linger on those things. And it's good that that there are people who do because there are too many of me walking around going, no, this seems fine. Sounds like you might like the Snake I, like, Eyes really. movie. <laughs> The, uh, oh this, God! This, this Five point, stars. This point of view where I'm I'm uh, <laughs> not looking for mistakes, but I uh, I think I'm I've wired myself to catch them. I'm I'm looking for mistakes. Um, <laughs> you know, like we talk about comics writers and artists and colorers and letterers, um, and you know, it's, it's the editor who has this supremely difficult task of wrangling all this stuff right on budget and on time. I think in another life I'd like to be a comics editor because, <laughs> well, then, then I'd find out what it's like to have uh, high standards and run out of time and not fix every mistake. Like, oh, oh, his <laughs> shirt's, shoes on the his, other his shirt's not blue and that issue just got printed. Chuckles is talking to himself in this scene for two panels. Yeah, I will say <laughs> that I, I think during this era of G.I. Joe, uh, at this, at least this very small window of time, I don't know that that, that Devils Do had a big editorial department. Uh, Mark Powers came on board. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, but he was definitely my editor, and then Michael Sullivan became my editor. Uh, and uh, but I, at the very beginning, I think that they were just kind of, and, and this is, I'm this is not a slam on them. I think this is a small company, but I think that they were largely sort of editing by committee, you know. Uh, mm it gets passed around and everybody looks at it and does this make sense? I think, you know? I think Blaylock either, I don't know that he said this aloud when, when we spoke with him, but I, I gleaned this from his description of one, as you say, how small the operation was. And two, as he said, how many hats he was wearing. So mm-hmm. yeah. I've, you know, and, and these issues, right? Like let's all look at the credits again, writer, penciler, inker, colors, letters, graphic design, cover. There is no listed editor. So yeah, yeah, it's Blaylock and kind of everyone. 
Yeah, and I think that, you know, they were lucky enough, I mean, and I'll include myself in this, but I think that with Frontline, they were definitely lucky enough to get writers who came in with an idea of what they wanted to do and and executed it, you know, fairly well. So the the not having an editor probably wasn't as big an issue as it was once they had separate continuities and reloaded in the main series and, you know, all these miniseries. I think it grew to a point where they def- definitely needed one, but they at this point they were lucky because all the parts they had were kind of kind of self-managing, you know. Yeah, and and I was going to point out there's actually no credited editor in the credits here, so it's, you know, relatively uh relatively unusual for a for a comic to to not have a credited um editor. Ooh, the Wild West. <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> you yeah, bet it was. Anything goes. The editor was Hasbro. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. Quote of the week, 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 quote of the week. Favorite line of dialogue? There was there was one that um I, I was when I was reading it through, I was like, uh, I need to make a note of that because that's definitely my favorite. Uh, and then I've not been able to to find it again. So <laughs> sorry, it's it's not that one. But um, there there was definitely some uh, some very strong dialogue and and um, sense of character in the dialogue. And uh, Chuckles had some uh, sort of killer zingers in his exchanges with uh, the various characters that um, he interacted with. Tim and Jay, was there anything that jumped out specifically to you that you wanted to flag? I have a favorite line of dialogue. Go ahead, Tim. Um, this is uh, this is the final chapter. This is page 14. Uh, sorry, issue 14, page 2, panel 5. Um, this is uh, this is Xander. Actually, when I read this, I thought it was Baroness saying it because uh, both Baroness and Xandar are really far away. They're very small in the panel. But in looking more carefully right now, both word balloons aim at Xandar. So I will try my, my best Peter Cullen G.I. Joe the movie Ooh. impression. <clears throat> Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've been talking enough today. I've warmed up for to do this low. Be careful patting yourself on the back, Winfield. One of these days, you might just break your arm. That's such a cool line. Ooh. That was it, Tim. That was the one that I spotted. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, you know what? What? Okay, it's it's divided over two two word balloons. And when I read the first word balloon, I thought this is Mark's favorite line. And then I started reading the second word balloon, and I thought, oh, this is my favorite line. Uh, that's a thing that my mom used to say to me. You're, or that my mom used to say, like wow. just a, like a that was that was just a common phrase growing up. Can you do that line as your mom? <laughs> uh, no, no, I would never dare impersonate my mother. I don't know where I'd start. Is uh, which which character in the background in the story arc is drawn in her likeness? None, none. My parents, um, my parents don't appear until the Battlestar Galactica Zarek book, and they are Tom Zarek's parents. Wow, I, that was just a setup for a joke, but but this, this is real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. All right. Um, my favorite line did, of dialogue is the one that Brandon mentioned earlier when the Joes are walking through the snow and they're talking about um, what to do. You know, do we shoot Chuckles? Do we do we kick his ass? And uh, Beachhead says, Chuckles knew the risks when he took the job. I'm not saying to aim for his head, but if you have to put a bullet in a friend to save his life, I don't think you should hesitate to pull the trigger. I was like, hell yeah. I could just see somebody <laughs> like, you know, because earlier, and there were a couple times when, you know, Brandon mentioned that he put put these seeds in earlier. There was one other time, too, where they mentioned, like, uh, you know, how far do we go uh, with Chuckles? And, and someone basically says, you know, like, uh, you know, rough him up if you have to. 
so yeah, he was definitely putting that idea in readers' heads early on that um, it could get ugly. So speaking of planting seeds, um, Brandon, since the first page of the final chapter introduces Chuckles's long ago love interest, Jesse, and then we return to her on the final page, the final page of the whole arc, right? You said at the beginning of our interview, you did not expect to ever write G.I. Joe or comics again. And yet you're planting this seed. It's like I get to this final page and I'm thinking like, oh, Brandon Joywa Jeff definitely thinks he's going to write more G.I. Joe comics and, and going to write <laughs> Chuckles again. So what's up with that? Uh, no, I just, uh, I I didn't, it, I never intended to go back to that. It was just sort of a, oh. like it was just a, sort of like the opposite of James Bond starting the movie in a different mission. This is sort of like, you know, this is Chuckles gets to go off and, and do this thing now. And, and what happens to him next is for someone else to decide. Uh, I think you get to kill him next. Yay! Oh, boo. <laughs> Actually, boo. you know, maybe there's, maybe there's an eight page, like, Devils do continuity story. You said, uh, you know, it's like check in with Jesse. You know, she's right, sad right. about Chuckles. Ten years on, visiting his I, grave. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. I did. Um, I did intend. Uh, had things gone longer with the main series, I did intend to bring Chuckles back. Oh, oh, but not Jesse. Listen, man. No, 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 no. I, I asked that as a question, not as not as a dig. No, no, no. I had no intention of, of bringing her back. Okay. Can we get her, but not Chuckles? Can we? Can we ask? Can we explore that idea? How would how would Chuckles have come back? Uh, because it's GI Joe, and uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't remember. I had. A, okay. I had a way that because he died like terribly uh and, but uh, yes. yeah he he got better <laughs> i was dead now i'm better okay yeah. that's that's fine we can live with that it worked for duke. um <laughs> it worked for duke yeah. as as a ninja he can slow his heartbeat so that he appears <laughs> that's right. dead that's as right. a as a as a marine who doesn't wear a shirt he can go on arctic missions <laughs> Uh, okay, cool. Um, so, oh yes, the the question I wanted to to ask was that just at the end of that uh, I Spy segment, uh, Brandon, whether uh, whether there's anything that you can remember that uh, that was worth calling out, which we've not mentioned uh, to date. I don't think so. You caught you caught my multi agency scene, so I think that that was you know uh, that was a thing. Uh, uh, Chuckles is in Blackwater Prison, which is from the cartoon. And I think I used again uh, with Wraith, maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't. I think I think you've more or less, you know, caught everything. Um, uh, it was just uh, it was a lot of fun, and and again, never thought anything would ever come of it. So obviously, the the whole experience ended up being pretty good for me uh, in the long run. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still very proud of it. One thing I will say, you know, it's funny you're talking about the dialogue. Like I do hear it. Now, um, I, I don't know why I felt like every line of dialogue should take two balloons and be super long. 
Um, I definitely, as the years went on, I think I became a slightly more economical comic writer. But, you know, those first few years, I'm like, I know every word and I'm going to show you in this book. <laughs> um, but people would also come to me and say, you know, hey, uh, this book took me 15 minutes to read and I really appreciate that. And I uh-huh. always felt good about, you know offering a comic because I, I would sit down and I'd read a comic and it would like take like seven minutes right and like mm. that was taking my time with some things and so I tried to well cram as much stuff as I could into this and make it take a while I have one question which is also an I spy um, so we've talked about on this podcast how um, uh, Hasbro was not forcing Devil's Due to include new product, but Blaylock was doing it a little bit as a sign of good faith. Um, so Crosshair shows up here in the third and fourth chapters of this story, right? Flint whispers, yep, yep. what about the new guy? The name is Crosshair, sir, and I'm never far. And he's up in a yes. tree with a sniper rifle. Um, so, and then, he, he, and then he, he shoots Wingfield in the head, in hand, not head, hand, in the final chapter. Um, Who's, whose idea were you following the new toys? Uh, how did how did Crosshair show up here? Uh, I was following the new toys, uh, and uh, I needed a sniper, and I, I was aware of Crosshair, and uh, they didn't even, Devil's Two didn't know who he was, uh, and I, I had to tell them, they were like, great, great, um, and then like during the main run, like I used a lot of the new toys, and I did it, I, I mean, I did it because I wanted to, and, and you know, like especially Dwight Stahl at, at at Hasbro, you know, he and his brother are barrel rolling blackout and Dwight's the greatest guy on earth. Um, and he was always so appreciative of that, but you know, they're, they're legitimate GI Joe characters and, uh, they were exciting to me as, as toys. And I thought, you know, sure. I could have used low light. Right. Uh, uh, but I, I thought, why not? Why not, you know, let's just say, hey, look, here's a here's a new a new Joe. Because I don't know about you guys, but like that was always exciting in the comics to mm-hmm. me. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't care about the pogo, but I was sure excited when it showed up in the comic, right? Like, <laughs> cool, show show this thing off. Um and I, you know, it's 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 a tradition. It's a G.I. Joe tradition as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it kind of grounds it of saying this is the G.I. Joe of now, and uh, you know, it's relevant to today and and also these new characters uh, and ideas and you know are just a way of having you know in- injecting a momentum as as well it's like well you know if nothing else what, there's this new character that's showing up what are they going to do how are they going to you know mix thing mix things up um and, and I, I think that 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 really created a real kind of propulsion for a lot of um Larry's work that when he was writing was like, okay, I've got to do something with this character. What can it be? And it just, you know, yeah. uh, it, it helps helps along that bl- you know piece of blank paper as you're as you're starting writing. Yeah, and I you know back to the older toys, but like uh, I chose Xandar and I leaned so hard into Xandar for so many reasons because I feel like you see th- that family and you always see Xandar or uh, Zartan and Zarana. Uh, and, you know, by the nature of the character, you don't see much of Xandar. And I, I wanted to, you know, play with that. And, and to me, that was like playing with a new toy just as much as anything else, because I didn't feel like he'd ever gotten much of his own due. Absolutely. Uh, normally at this point, we would give it a score. Uh, Brandon, we can do this now with you present, or we can do it at the end after you've dropped off to share your blushes. Um, what... What what's your pick? 
Oh, uh, boy, I, <laughs> let him I don't, give it a score. You know what? I'm I'm a <laughs> fifty points all across the board, kid. Uh, no, I will. Uh, you know what? I will take my lumps and and don't take it easy on me. Like I, I want to hear your honest opinions. Okay, let's do it. I'll I'll go I'll go first. So, um, I've not read this. Um, I think since it it came came out, so my my memory was you know quite fuzzy. I did I did remember I did know that at the time. Um, I'd, I was very excited about uh, the the story, and I, I did enjoy it. So I was generally intrigued as to what I would think reading it again all of this time uh, later. Um, I can appreciate it for for what it is, and I can uh, appreciate the sort of against the context of the the you know the Devil's Due run that has come this far. I think it's compares favorably. I think that the story is is good and exciting, and you know there's a lot of propulsion behind it, and the the art is is strong. I think there's kind of tells from both the the writing and the art that you know it's, it's a writer and an artist who are still relatively young in their their career and 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 learning. So there's you know it's not without some some weaknesses. Some of the uh, proportions of of how you know some of the dimensions of the the sense of space are laid out are sometimes a little bit wonky but um i'm never lost in the you know by those those points and uh and actually going back i read this twice once once through in you know more quickly and once again in more detail and and reading it through the second time i think helped and and i was you know noticing more things that i missed in my my first reading and i you know i read it once earlier this week and then again to today and i sort of you know was actually genuinely looking forward to rereading it to kind of uh, pick out some of the the details which i think is a good sign so yeah i think strong and uh looking f- uh, you know and uh i think always a good sense is you know am i looking forward to what comes next and i certainly am so i think i would give it about seven and a half which is think is a pretty good score all right um i'm gonna give this a I'm gonna give this a. I don't, I don't like the color. There's a lot of hard work in the art, but uh, and 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 Mark makes a good point. The storytelling is all clear, except for like one one or two panels where I didn't quite know what was going on. Uh, the storytelling is all good and the acting is all good, um, but uh, this is still an artist who needs to like balance a lot of aspects of, of drawing and storytelling. I think Brandon's observation at the beginning that um, it's not overstuffed, but it's at the maximum load. Mm-hmm. I think that's accurate, but I would I would take it back a step and say, though it's at the maximum load, it would be more effective with a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, though I, I love the explanation of how this two-part story became a four-part story, that there was such a sharp divide um, halfway through the story and that the first two and the last two parts aren't that are integrated uh, throws me off so um i'll give this a it's a six um give this a six and for context tim does always uh uh it is difficult to get uh much beyond a seven from tim <laughs> what what did you give dan jolly uh i don't remember i think it was a six i think it was a six it better be a six <laughs> i think i think it was i think it was an eleven 
I think, <laughs> I think actually, uh, I think actually during the Blaylock interview, I said, "No, you chose wrong. Jolly should have taken over the book." <laughs> oh, uh, oh, with, with twenty-five. Oh. I think that's the. I think that's the number of points I gave to um, Icebound. Actually, <laughs> okay, I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm fine. Jay, your turn. I'll I'll make you feel better, Brandon. Um, all right. Thanks, thanks, Jay. At the risk of repeating myself for the hundredth time, um, Mark's the it's guy the from England. This, oh. Yeah, yeah. History repeating itself, right? Mark's the guy from England. Tim's the professor. I'm the guy that's never read these before. I had never read any Devils Do stuff before, and when I came into it, I was real excited to read a lot of it. I'd heard different things. I'd heard some people really loved it. Some people hated it. Um, some companies said this doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but I was I was anxious and, and interested to get in, it. and we got in it, and we had a it was a pretty rough start. That uh, wow, reinstated. I, I still have dreams about that, but as it, it gets better, and right about the time right now, I think Mark said that the main series is like twenty or, or twenty one, right around this time. Mm-hmm. I'm really loving Frontline, really am. I'm and and uh, that closure arc was really good the the zach arc was really good the arc before that had the brandon baddo arc was really good so yeah the more we get into the the uh the devils do stuff the more i like it and um, i do the videos for for the disavowed stuff and i almost feel like a lot of times that i wish that i could go back and say i want to raise this one up a little bit like the one we did with zanya i think i probably looking at it now would have given that a higher rating because I was just able to appreciate the art and the storytelling, the writing more as I worked on the video. Um, this one, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I really, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed it. And if you're writing it for another 20 or so issues, then I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm there oh, and I'm thanks. excited. So you did a great job, especially as one of your earliest jobs. I, I can't say enough. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I'm giving it a nine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know what? I, you know what? I give you a nine. <laughs> <laughs> I no, didn't do I, anything. I, no, that's great. And I, you know, I, like as a reader uh, who, who was reading the, the main series, uh, as a reader, Frontline was super exciting to me. Like, like Dan's stuff and, and you know, like you say, those, those arcs. Yeah, it's been great. I, I, and I felt like it was that the whole thing was getting better. Mm-hmm by virtue of that. And I mean, there are some, there's so many great things in the devil's do run that I didn't do that, that I think were really great. And, you know, whatever happened out of whatever followed, you know, with the, the whole run and master and apprentice and snake eyes and all that, like for all the disavowing people like to do about this particular run of GI Joe, I'm, I'm proud to have been a part of it. And I'm proud that we like, we had figures made of characters that we created mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we, we made an impact on this thing that, that we all loved and that's part of our, history. whatever the ultimate fate of that ended up being that right. We, I got to contribute to something that is literally a part of the fabric of my existence, right? Yeah. Like, and part of who I am. So whatever people think about it in the long run, that can never be taken away. And that is gold to me. And the fact that there are people like you who are sitting here still even bothering to read these books, much less take the time and care that you do to to look at them in the way you do. I mean, like that's that's extremely gratifying and no no sales figure can ever match people just, you know, caring and bothering to care about what you have done. So thank you. 
Excellent. And what, what I would add to, to add to my little um, summary there as well is that I, I certainly do remember back in the day that, you know, enjoying the, the your frontline arc and knowing that when you were announced as the the ongoing new writer that being you know very excited by that prospect knowing that we were in a you know with a, a in a pair of hands of someone that had already delivered a really good joe story and, and you know excited to to you know think about where you might take the the book uh, next and and that's pretty much how i feel now as well i'm look, really looking forward to to d- digging in and and you know uh, with our reread from issue 20 26 and seeing where where things pick up and and where you take it well great great uh typer viper forever i guess (laughs) (laughs) now the truth comes out i'm shocked i i can't tell you how shocked i am because that's all correct now that i think about it that's all correct and it's totally totally out of my mind (laughs) (laughs) i guess you could say it's history repeating Hmm. Hmm. So uh, I think we are pretty much done now and uh, we can uh, sort of start wrapping uh, wrapping it up. Um, Brandon, it was a delight to uh, have you on and I'm sure we could have, we've spoken a long time and I'm sure uh, we could all keep on going for uh, hours longer. Um, uh, great, great chatting with you and, and thanks for, for joining us and being so generous with your your time and hopefully uh, you'll be back on the show before too very long to to talk more joe and uh, more about uh, your your work on the devil's due series what have you got that you would like to plug now or tell us where people can find you or what people should be picking up of yours all of this kind of thing uh, it's sure. your time now to to do the hard sell for us and and let people know all of that stuff Okay. Uh, uh, right now, I guess I'm the only thing I'm really plugging is music. So laterhumans.bandcamp.com, uh, my first EP of instrumental electro sci-fi ambient techno music is up, uh, and you can you know find me on Facebook because I'm your grandpa, and uh, that's that's really about it. I you know I've uh, I'm working on a novel, but that's probably a year out, uh, and I'm always doing stuff with games and and that kind of stuff so i i stay busy but yeah music right now is the focus but more writing is coming um so yeah just uh seek me out i'm around very cool stuff uh um, i was gonna say should we be downloading Brittany spears american dream and Nicki minaj the empire onto our mobile devices listen uh i wrote 95 percent of that britney spears game uh i am immensely proud of it and people, I people don't ever know how to react. Uh, and I was the the sort of story editor for the Nicki Minaj game. Uh, I I was immensely immensely proud of that Britney Spears game. We tried to treat her with respect and really dive into making her a, a, an investable character. We got a very good uh, response from the audience. These things never last. Um, but if you can find Britney Spears' American Dream, uh, please uh, get in there and play it because uh, I think it's a lot of fun and uh, it is a very unusual thing that I did, but uh, it actually helped build the career that I have now working as a story editor and writer and narrative designer on, on mobile games and you know I'm doing Alexa stuff right now. And uh, it, it ended up being very lucrative for me, uh, but it's a thing I never thought I'd get into. But yeah, highly recommended. 
Wow, unusual indeed. Dan, not not intended to poke f- fun. Oh no, absolutely. I know it's a weird thing. I I'm very aware that it, for me it seems like a you know, GI Joe to Britney Spears. It makes all kinds of sense, right? Absolutely, Tim. Did you? You look like you were about to jump in and say something. No. Uh, no. Okay. I'm I'm just in. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, and and I'm I would uh, I would love to actually talk more in detail about all of those those projects. I'm I'm yeah. sure it is absolutely uh, fascinating. Maybe we can maybe we can delve into that a bit more uh, next uh, next time. So uh, we found out uh, where people can find Brandon's latest projects. Uh, do seek them out, uh, Tim. Where can people find you? My comic book store is Hub Comics in Somerville, Massachusetts, and. My blog is a realamericanbook.com. And Jay, where can people find you? Do they just have to say your name three times on the Talking Joe Facebook page and you'll appear? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. Uh, Break Room Sketches on Facebook. The other thing will lead to horrible, horrible. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Excellent. So next time, back over here, we will continue our look through uh, G.I. Joe Frontline as we're sort of in the final straight as the the book is uh, coming to a conclusion. And uh, we'll also be covering all of the latest A Real American Hero issues as they come out as written by Larry Hammer. And we have a very exciting show coming up as well in our sketchbook and original art shows, uh, which actually, by the time this comes out, will probably have already uh, been released. So uh, we are delving into, uh, uh, we're having a look at the original art to the holy grail of G.I. Joe comics. We're having a look at issue 21, uh, the original art to to that, which I think has never been aired publicly before. So very exciting. That can be found in the usual places. The usual places can be found on talkingjoe.co.uk, which is the website that has links to everywhere, including the Facebook group, uh, the Twitter, the Instagram, and contact details. We've also got links to Patreon, patreon.com slash talkingjoe. And a big thanks to our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, who are getting early access to episodes as well as exclusive content and have a hotline direct to me so that we can ask questions to our guests when they're on. So I think that's us, Dan. Thanks again, Brandon, for, for joining us. It was, uh, it was a real treat to, to have you on. Thanks for having me. Um, and, you know, warm up your singing vocals because I think we're done. Because when... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and remember... Nobody beats Talking Joe! A real American podcast! <laughs> Which somehow has a guy from England. <laughs> oh, dear. Later, wankers. I, I, I need to mix it up. It can't just be later wankers all the time, particularly with uh, without the context as to why we're saying that. If only that is something that like Zanzibar or Zartan had said in some issue of Action Force. If only that was actually a G.I. Joe thing. Right. It's just that you're British and rude. <laughs>
It's just that I'm British and rude. Maybe it's, it's uh, just from hearing one of you guys say it in her voice. But I could swear I've heard Zarana say wankers. Wankers, yeah. Wankers. 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 Brandon, thank you so much. That was great. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah, this thanks is great. again. Sorry I talk so much. No, no, no. This is this is what a podcast is. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's in the name. <laughs> I we would we would be disappointed if we had an interesting guest who gave very short answers and didn't always answer questions. So I was a podcaster for years, and we we actually did our show from a proper radio station because we were wow. backed by Intercom Radio. The worst guest we ever had. Do not air this. Uh, mm. Was nine o'clock in the morning mm. uh who <laughs> was there to talk about his movie and didn't want to oh no uh, and so every answer was like yeah i guess oh, yeah gosh. no we're real excited about it and like this interview went on for an hour do you think that uh, this was particular to that day like it was too early that day or do you think it doesn't like do a lot of fun interviews we had been warned ahead of time, so I don't think it was oh, wow. that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Literally, to have. Li- hey, who's, who's coming on the show? <laughs> oh, good luck. <laughs> cool. You wouldn't expect that. Maybe. No, you really would expect a lot of exuberance from. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's one of those creatives who really wants the work to speak for itself maybe. and thinks that like all promotion is, is silly. It's like, no, no, no. You, it's, it's in the movie. Go see the movie. You'll see. Was it uh, was it contractual ob- obligation stuff? I really don't really oh. don't want to do this, but have to. Blah, blah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Sometimes I think of um, uh, what Tobey Maguire said in an answer to an interview when Spider-Man Three came out. Someone was someone from you know a website or a TV show was like, "What are you working on now?" And he said, "This." And they're, like, they're like, they're like, "What do you mean?" And he's like. It's like I'm I'm just doing a lot of publicity for Spider-Man 3 and I don't know if he said more or if I sort of figured it out but it's like oh yeah for 21 days straight like this actor and the other actors and the director are like going from state to state and country to country and like sitting in hotel rooms for like yep. 10 minutes to 20 minutes at a time as like some reporter comes in and asks the same six questions and then the next reporter comes in and asks the same six mm. questions and then they're like doing a talk show at 5 p.m. and it's like you know, it's it's Spider-Man 3. You can only answer, like, so who is Peter Parker this time around? You can only answer that so many times. And and even though, like, you know, when actors, like, get in trouble for, like, having an attitude or throwing a temper tantrum, it's like, you have an easy job. Just answer my questions and play along. It's like, no, these three weeks sound pretty awful. Yeah. I actually, yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. have sympathy for all those people who, you know, like, there, there are moments when I like wish I was famous. It's like, oh, I, I want to have an album or a movie and like lots of people want to ask me questions. It's like, oh, I, I don't want to do like the Tobey Maguire three weeks of that. Yeah, no, I, no thanks. Who is this man? Who is this legend? Who is this myth? Who is Brandon Jones? Comic writer bourgeoisie, born in 1973, Brandon, Brandon Funko Pop Manatee, born in 1973, Brandon, Brandon 
Come on, Brandon, you can do it. Pave the way, put your back into it. Tell us why, show, show us how. how. Look at you where you come from, look, look at you, you now. now. Hammer, Casey, and Blaylock. Amateurs can go suck a cock. Write those books, dig it, itch. Come on, Brandon, get them. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen, have you ever, 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 ever seen a stripping gorilla? Have you ever seen, have you ever seen, have you ever, 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 ever seen? Sprocket Man, the hero Morning Radio DJ, born in 1973 Brandon, Brandon Jawa Stalker of Dan Jolly, born in 1973 Brandon, Brandon Jawa Come on Brandon, you can do it There can only be one, you can prove it Tell us why, show us how It's happened before, it'll happen again Wraith and Charcoals and Red Shadows Created in polyphonic prose Write those books, sing a song Type a viper, get em. Have you ever seen, have you ever seen Have you ever, 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 ever seen A drug gone ski look alike 